And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Welcome back, hustlers. This is Andrew Morgans, your host. Uh, here with today's episode, we have Donna from ClickBelts. We're going to have a great time getting to know her story. Um, know more about her brand and just her journey as an entrepreneur. I know I engaged with her for some help on Amazon. Um, and she was just getting into the into the business and was super excited. So I want to hear how things, you know, got us to that point and how she's progressed since um, Amazon is a bittersweet topic for her. So this will be some real authentic, uh, you know, kind of conversation. Uh, before we get started, let's thank our host, I mean, our not, not our host, but our sponsor, Startup Hustle. Um, it's Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. I mention them in every show. Um, if you haven't looked into Fullscale.io, you're really missing out, especially if you need development needs. Um, with e-commerce in today's environment, that kind of business is just growing, growing, growing. It's hard to find talent. Um Trying to find talent even even abroad now is hard. So give them a look up. Give them some research. Fullscale.io. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. We were just talking about your last episode that you did. Um, grunt style. Is that correct? Um, I did a... Uh... It wasn't a podcast. I don't really know what you call it, to be honest with you. It was a live Insta show that they do every day at 3 p.m. Central Time. Okay. And are they a new partner of ClickBelts? They are. We, um, we're we co-branding. Um, we're real excited, actually, to co-brand with them. They sell mostly, mostly their demographic are um, military, and that's a demographic that we share. And so we are now making belts for them, and we're selling Grunt Style by ClickBelts. We're co-branding and they're selling four different styles of belts at gruntstyle.com and we're really excited to do that i love it i know click belts is all over the place um including a movie a hollywood movie i think you you were known a couple actually yeah yeah we'll get into that let's start off with just giving me a little background about yourself either before entrepreneurship or if entrepreneurship has been in your whole life like let's let's learn a little bit about donna Okay, well, entrepreneurship has been a part of my life because my dad, as he'll tell it, has never had a job in his life um, and has always bought and sold businesses or started companies. So that was a part of my upbringing anyway. I watched that. And it probably is the reason I'm not very risk averse because it just ran smooth. And, you know, I I never I, I mean, we were rich and poor several times over, but. Um, I didn't really realize it, you know, was, I was kind of shielded from that. It didn't, didn't make much difference to me. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in South Texas, uh, moved to Austin in 1994. I was in my early twenties, started working at Dell computer, worked there for a while. Um, quit in 2000, got my real estate license in 2003. I started a real estate brokerage here in Austin. I still have that real estate brokerage here. And I still sell real estate. I have 
um, agents that work for me and just a brokerage that is easier for me to keep than fold, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, I have other people running that. And in 2018, July of 2018, I bought click belts from a neighbor of mine who had bought it from the original owner. So I'm actually the third owner. And it technically started as a Kickstarter launch, I guess, in 2014. Okay. Um, And so, although uh, I've done a lot of things, I I skipped over a lot of things. I'm pretty old, actually. Um, I've done a lot of things. I've never done this. And so mm-hmm. every day, like you've picked me up off the floor a couple of times when I was like, what did I do? Oh my God. Well, you had a what lot going did on. I do. And you're like throwing out all these terms. I was like, Andrew, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure out how to make sure I don't run out of inventory. I don't even know what the initials you just threw out stand for. Like, can you please just handle that for me until mm-hmm. I can get there? I don't even know what you're talking about, but I do want to know. And I know I need to know, but table it for me, handle it for me, and then, and then teach it to me. <laughs> and, and in, in year two, we hit, we have COVID, you know, I know. Uh, and, um, I, I don't know how much of your business is like, you know, traditional retail or not, but I know that that's just impacted. Well, it's made e-commerce sales grow in some ways, but you know, it's impacted a lot of, uh, you know, brands in regards to the retail shops and, and orders and things like that. Um, how has ClickBelt's been affected? Well, I don't sell retail. I'm 100% e-commerce. I have several different sales channels. As you know, ClickBelts.com is my main sales channel. Amazon um, and GabX, Grunt Style. You know, we have lots of different partners, that, but all of it is e-commerce. Got it. So I have no retail that it affected. And to be honest with you, I'm in the tactical space. So we thrived during COVID. I mean, I hate to, you know, take advantage of a global pandemic, but I might not be as mad as other people are. Right. No. And, uh, you know, I, we have, we manage a lot of food brands, essentials, mm-hmm. um, you know, different kind of stuff like that, uh, all the way down to like fishing supplies, kayaking, like, um, you name it, there's been a, a ton of businesses that have benefited from the pandemic and just things going on, more of a focus on the outdoors, um, more on the focus on safety, more a focus on pets. You know, there's a lot of industries that have seen a huge uptick, um, you know, during this year. Yeah. And so we've had some partners like Australia Alpine stopped production for a while. Our leather um, partner who makes our leather belts for us stopped production for a while. So we saw some supply chain um, consequences of the pandemic. And we also had the opportunity when we had partners that were struggling for one reason or another to just be sure we supported them because we could, you know, we Mm -hmm. could pay invoices ahead of time, you know, place orders for things we know we're going to sell eventually, things like that. So I saw a lot of small businesses doing that, you know, those that could did. Right. And I would say, you know, um, we saw we saw a little bit here at Marknology, um, you know, a couple of clients pausing, um, you know, partnerships with us. Uh, we saw several come in as well. Um, so it's kind of just like a flux. Um, but a lot of it was just navigating the businesses we did have with whether it was logistics. You know, some people on the Amazon side were only using FBA. And so when FBA really just got bogged down or um they weren't taking anything non-essential then they had to pivot really fast to fulfillment and different things like that so um 
you know, some of it was just like, how can we help people, uh, you know, giving free advice was a lot of the ways that we were helping was just like a lot of businesses that weren't even partnered with us, but that just needed pointed in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I think a, a resounding like sentiment is just thankful that you have a strong e-commerce, you know? Yeah. Very yeah. thankful. But it, I mean, it's only going to last as long as the economy lasts, you know, of course we're all at risk, you know, everybody's dangling. If the right. economy tanks, then we all go down. And I think that's the one, you know, um, reassuring kind of emotion is just that we're all in it together yeah. in some way or another, maybe some of us a little behind others, but you know, we're all in it together. Yeah. So where are you, where are you taking click belts, you know, in the future, you talked about a new partnership early. Um, you know, what's coming down the pipeline. Are you in a holding pattern or, um, well, I'm never in a holding pattern. There I'm, we go. All, I'm never in a holding pattern. I mean, the, the, you know, that's kind of, that, that's a great question. And, and I could give you 100 different answers because there are actually 1 million different answers and all of them would be such a great idea and so exciting and so fun to do. And it's really up to me which direction I want to go. Right now, I'm focused on new sales partners, which I've done really well. And a lot of that was to not be so dependent on Amazon. When I first bought the business in two years ago, we were 80% Amazon sales and 20% everywhere else. And we flip-flopped that. Now Amazon is less than 10% of my sales. Wow. And I let me tell you, I can sleep at night now. Um, and so we've worked really hard to have other sales channels and ever, other revenue streams to where when Amazon changes their algorithm, I won't go bankrupt. So, um, so we've done that and that's still my focus. Um, there are a lot of things, there are big moves I have to make in order to take the business to the next level that will give me such a value increase that it would really be ready to sell. Right. Um, and that would be government contracts, um, things that are, th things that aren't onesie twosie, which is basically all I do right now. You know, I mean, um, other than grunt style and GebEx and stuff like that, when people come to my website, there could be a police force that might buy 40 or a military outfit that might buy a hundred or something like that. But for the most part, I'm onesie twosie and I'll need to up that. I'll need to have big contracts. It's just that I, you know, there's a lot of pain points with me doing that. Now there are things that I have to overcome. I'm not quite ready as far as warehouse space, number of employees that I have um, capital that it's going to take to get something like that going. So and what does that look like? Who are going to, who is this customer going to be? So a lot of those have to be answered right now. I'm kind of just chugging along. I'm learning everything I need to learn. I'm launching new products. I'm doing it slowly. I'm making sure I can afford to do it before I do it. I'm not borrowing any more money and just kind of chugging along. Um, I think the process one product at a time. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be a conglomerate in the next one year. I'm just slowly growing, paying for it myself letting the business pay its own debt service, you know, and making sure we're as whole as we can possibly be going forward. So if I do go down, I don't take a bunch of people with me. Right. So. Yep. No, I think that's very honorable and um, I respect it. And I, it's definitely a method or a way of doing business that Marknology and my businesses um, follow as well, as far as um, to this point, we haven't taken any investment or anything like that. And, um, you know, I want to be an investor. Uh, you know, there's a part of me that wants to acquire businesses and fix them up and, and exit. 
um, just because I haven't done that before and I want to be good at it. Probably. You would be good at it. You'd um, really, I think just with the experience you have now, you'd be good at it. Yeah, it really so, comes so down to So call me. Being... We'll talk offline about that. Okay. Okay. Everything's for, sure. for sale. Everything's for sale. Yeah, I know. And um, I think that my, you know, uh, the Marknology team is kind of like a machine in regards to warehousing, photography, video, copy, you know, the marketing aspect. Like, you know, you could really take a business and give them what they need. Um you know, to grow and get to the next level. And I know that there's, um, there's a big conglomerate, actually, that acquired a bunch of Amazon businesses. Um, They're buying businesses that were like on a growth trajectory, and they would just acquire the brand. Um, and then we're building them up and exiting. And it just hit like one of the biggest uh, IPOs, I think, in history, as far as the, the quickest, and I think it had to do with products, you know, consumer goods. Um, but I'll have to look that name up for you, because I can't think of the article. I mean, um, no one called me. That's all I'm saying. They haven't seen you yet. They haven't seen you yet. And I think maybe they're looking. This, maybe this is it. Maybe this is my big break. Maybe so. Um, well, I will tell you, Andrew, to speak to what you just said, though, I do want to chime in real quick. Mm-hmm. You guys are already set up. You have the infrastructure and everything you just mentioned, the photography, you know, all the things that your firm provides. Those are the things that cost so much money that will literally keep people from starting a new business. I don't have the capital to build a beautiful website and set up an Amazon store and do all this professional photography and lifestyle content and the social media management and the marketing and all that stuff. But you guys are already doing it. You really are perfectly situated for purchasing businesses and getting them going. You've already got the infrastructure for it. I think it will just be a blast and I don't have to worry about exiting this business. So I'm ready as far as Marknology. I love building businesses. Um, and I think and you've one got of those two sisters that have your back. I got and a mama and a mama. We got yeah. a big team. We got a really yeah. big team. So yeah. um, we're, we're having a lot of fun doing it and, you know, just getting better every day. I think I just signed a, a contract today um, with a local distiller. Okay. American agave. They make American agave, which is tequila, but we can't use that word if it's not made in Mexico, right? So um, tequila is, I think, brand like it's not trademarked, but you have to, it has to be made in Mexico to be tequila. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So it's agave if it's made anywhere else. And anyway, uh, it's a Can Kansas. Have tasted it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, oh. Has, he has a local bar and, um, you know, he's in, if you've ever heard of a boulevard, um, brewing company, you know, he has a partnership with them and some of their cocktails, but I think we're going to try to take it to, um, Europe and beyond Amazon, Europe and beyond because they allow uh, alcohol sales on that platform. So, um, just love trailblazing, love finding new opportunities and new ways to, you know, um, grow businesses online. And I think that, you know, taking alcohol to, um, to Amazon when, when it's just now becoming, you know, several states are allowing it here, but it's not nationwide, um, is going to be a fun adventure. I can't wait to hear about it. Yes, you will have to get you, get you on there. Um, we were talking about, you know, just growing it small. And I think one thing that's been resounding with me, not growing it small, small, but like learning what you need to learn, the onesie twosies um, developing new product and the process. Right. And I think that, um, it's not just about arriving at the exit. You know, we talk about businesses exiting and I think everybody has to know where their exit is, but 
Um, for me, you know, I just had a realization, I think maybe in the last six months about how much I just love the process and, um, to quit worrying about necessarily arriving at this destination and, um, just enjoy the process of what I'm doing and what we're doing. And, you know, that's just being an entrepreneur, being an innovator, creating things, creating relationships. Um, you've been in it since 2018. Um, have you fell in love with the process yet? Very much so. And in fact, I've fallen in love with it so deeply that every time someone says you should or you could, and then the next thing they spew out of their mouth is whatever it is, um, it hurts me. It literally will hurt me because I'm thinking, well, then I'm not going to take, then I'm not going to answer the phone. I still answer the phone personally. Every time someone calls ClickBelts, I answer the phone and I answer all the emails personally. I don't have anybody that does that for me because I want to talk to the customer. We don't have retail stores. I'm curious what they say. I want to know what they're going to complain about, what they're excited about, what they need help with, because then I can fix the website. You know, I'm the one that needs that information. I'm the one that makes decisions about that. And so um, I'm just not ready to get to that next step. I can't let go of my favorite part, which is the customer being able to touch me. Once I get past that certain point, then I just won't have the bandwidth. And I'm almost, I mean, I really don't have the bandwidth now, if the truth be told. But I pass off other things so that I can have that bandwidth because it's so important to me. But yes, I love everything about it. All I think, of it. I think that's um, what some of what I had to learn in Marknology as well was I definitely can't be the choke point for everything. Can't be deciding, making the decisions for every department and every conversation and every brand at all points. Um if I do that, I'm not effective anywhere, but it has been to, I've ate dirt long enough to know, like, you know, I can do any of those things. And if I need to, I will, but to try to figure out ways to just do the parts of the business that I love, because I think that's where you get the best work, you know, and right. if, that, if that's relationship building, if that's creating content like podcasts and doing lives and, um, sending out emails to partners and, um, you know, I think that we always should do that. And you don't have to rise above those parts of the business. If you can figure out how to just, you know, um, get the other harder stuff done or get help there and, and be able to focus on the stuff that you do best, the stuff you enjoy best. Plus, plus that accent on the phone, I think anyone would buy from you. Accent? Yeah, you have that Southern Texas uh, accent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's always that's always a buying a buying move. I feel like it just sounds like someone nice on the phone. We are nice. We're nice in the South. Uh, my cousin just moved to, uh, to Austin. He's one of my best friends. Really? And um, yeah, his name's Tyler and he's in software sales down there. So he moved, he, he probably moved a year ago. Um, I keep forgetting you're in Austin. Next time I come in town, we're going to have to. You come to Austin you. and you don't call me? I forget. I forget. I need a I, list of like where people live. I wish live. I didn't know that. I know. I, you do. You do. Talk about you talked about launching a new product. Can you talk about that? Or is it top secret? No, it's not top secret. <laughs> this is this is actually a good story because this is this is just how it goes. So so for since I bought the business from time to time, customers will call me and they'll go, or they'll see a social media post and they'll see the picture of it near a rifle or something. They'll go, oh, I thought that was a rifle sling, or will you launch a, launch a rifle sling or whatever? And I thought enough people ask that I need to launch a rifle sling. I mean, honestly, it's already kind of my workflow. It's nylon and sewing and whatever it is. But the problem is I don't shoot rifles. 
nor do I have a sling or know what a sling is supposed to be like. I mean, I shoot handguns, but not rifles, and I don't know anything about it. So I kind of would table it, table it. I'd ask people that sewed ri- that shot rifles to help me with the design process, and everybody would chime in. I didn't understand what they were talking about, so I'd put put it aside and you know get lower hanging fruit, right? Like other other new products that I launch. And so finally, the guys at Black Collar Arms, Chris and Jeremy, they are in Austin. Black Collar Arms is in Austin. They approached me and said. We want to design a rifle sling. We want to co-brand a rifle sling if you're open to it. Because we had collabed on a couple of things. And um, and because we want we make really high-end rifles, and we want to include a sling with our high-end rifles that's different than everybody else's. We don't want to go buy some sling at Academy or whatever. So they're both real smart and engineers, and I knew they could design it. And that's where I could what I couldn't do. And so we, I ordered a whole bunch of different Cobra buckles, the little mini fashion buckles, all kinds of different things. And we um, sat in the warehouse and designed a bunch of stuff and tweaked it, tweaked it, had it sewn, ordered more stuff. This has gone on for over six months. And you think it's something so easy. This is just going to be nylon, two straps, two Cobra buckles are going to be modular. They're going to have the dongle hardware that stays on each rifle. So you have one sling and you just plug it into each different rifle. Everybody was excited about it. We sent it twice to social influencers. We said, you can't talk about it until July 4th, all that stuff. And then all those brand ambassadors and social influencers had feedback, right? And a lot of it was the same feedback. And I thought, "Mm, I'm not launching this on July 4th. It's not ready. What they're saying is very valid. That's, and that's why I sent it to them, you know, um, and so we tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and we're still tweaking. Actually, we just made a final design change. Well, I say final, I've said final a few times, another design change yesterday. And those guys are going to finish the actual, how long to cut each thing before we sew it. And then I found that this will be the first product other than leather that we don't make in house because it's so over manufactured and I pay middle-class American seamstresses per unit. So that my my manufacturing uh, model it does not bode itself well to something that requires a lot of sewing and binding and you know trim and it'd be too expensive. So I'm having it get sewed in North Carolina at some of those cut and sews, and so I'd get on that anyway. There have been several. We wanted to launch it at the new year. We wanted to launch it July fourth. We wanted to launch it, and it's still not ready. But I'm going to have the coolest rifle sling you've ever seen. It's going to be modular. It's going to have two mini Cobra buckles. It's going to have another Austria Alpine slider thing that makes it real adjustable to tighten and loosen really easily. This thing is going to change your life and everyone's life, I think. I think it's a good, um, you know, it's a good rule of thumb or a good process. Like, take your time. Get it right. Um, Too many times we feel like we've said we're going to launch or... You know, you've said this is going to be done and it's just not ready and people launch and you kind of launch with a subpar product, you know, because they have investors pushing them. I think that's one of the benefits of of owning the whole process yourself is um, not having to please anyone uh, besides, you know, your own standards for your business and um, what your standards are, your standards are. I know that's simple, but like simply put like you don't have to put out anything that doesn't reflect your brand and that's how you can keep brand quality so high um 
versus constantly having to hit these goals or these metrics every time you have a monthly meeting or a quarterly meeting with investors and they're like, well, why isn't this done? Why isn't this out? Um, you know, as someone that works with brands that have all different types of models and owners and investors, and um, I can just see the differences between them. And I think that like, you know, as far as Amazon goes, when people are like, can you sell this product on Amazon or this or that? Um, you know, I'm like, if the product reviews well, that's almost always what I start with, you know, because I'm like, if, if you have a price point that can compete and the product will review well, we're, we've got a product that's going to win on Amazon. Um, you know, you can't, you can't fight with bad reviews. So, and, and then also you, you're talking about influencers, like how big is, um, our social influencers and ambassadors a part of your program for anyone listening? Huge, very huge. And when you first start out, that part is real difficult because for a while, no one gives a shit about you. And then you kind of cross a threshold where they're all just, you know, you're spending an hour of your day fielding these calls. I have a marketing team that handles that for me, that handles my brand ambassadors and, influ- and affiliate program for me. And then, and then lo and behold, you get to a point where all of a sudden you don't have to pay for every single lifestyle photo that comes in every single social media content that you've got to put out that stuff just starts coming to you from these brand ambassadors and social influencers and customers and people are excited about it and they want to do it but our bit the okay the previous owner of click belts is named dale dale is my neighbor and a good friend of mine his wife susan's one of my good friends and that's who i bought the business from and that's a long story that no one gives a shit about but anyway um Dale was telling me that what took him from basically selling belts out of his garage, right, to what, I mean, if I say we're a national brand, I don't really know what the threshold for that is, but it feels that way right? in several different ways, and then it doesn't feel that way in several other different ways. So I'm not trying to elevate us up to national brand status. Nobody send me an email. I don't even know what that means. But um what took us over that hump was Brian Stevens at survival on purpose towing the Bronco with a click belt that happened three years ago. It's on YouTube. And at least once a week, someone says, Oh, I, I saw him towing the Bronco with your belt or pulling the car out of the lake with our belt. Those YouTube videos that brand ambassadors did, but Brian is still our biggest brand ambassador. He converts the most. He does a video about once a quarter for us, and um, he's just a really nice guy. He's an Eagle Scout, and, you know, he does cool stuff. And so Survival on Purpose is still our biggest brand ambassador. But we have several, and we like them all, and they all convert. I mean, you know, you choose those carefully, right? Yeah, I think I think people just miss, miss like, they see people post on social media, and they or they see, you know, kind of, they don't understand the inner workings of how it works. And from the outside, I think a lot of brand owners or marketing managers, um, if, if you're in marketing, you understand. But, you know, if you're like, what is this social influencers? How do the ambassador programs work? Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of management. It's a lot of engagement. It's a lot of um, relationship building. Um, you know, just the fulfillment, getting them the products, getting them to know, like, you know, educating them on the products. Um, you know, some ambassadors will know exactly what to do, like a cool video like that. And that's what makes them special, you know, pulling something out of the water, um, with a belt. But, um, I know in the early days of landlocked, when I was building the brand, um, you know, I think I had made just a commitment to message 20 people a day, um, just say hello, 
uh, as landlocked, you know, say hello, um, tell them about the brand. Um, I was reaching out to, I think in the early days I got like Buckle, like Buckle, the company, Buckle Kansas City and Red Bull Kansas City. You know, they had an Instagram account. They all had their own Instagram accounts. And it was just, um, you know, it wasn't, it was just consistent effort daily to build relationships. And I was just messaging people, messaging people, messaging people. Um, hey, I'm the owner of the brand. Would love to, you know, work with you. Love to send you a free shirt or um, did a lot of stuff for free, you know, just yeah. on, my, on my dime to, to build relationships. But um, whenever I think about like, if we hit a plateau with the brand, I'm like, I think we just need to go back to the basics. You know, some of that kind of stuff that's just, it's the digital way of relationship building. Like It know. is, it is. And a lot of people, you know, it's, it takes someone to really dive in and see if, a lot of people that have a lot of followers or look like they have a lot of engagement aren't that influential. You know, maybe they're just posting interesting stuff. They don't influence sales. Um, others, and it always surprises you. Well, it used to. I, I maybe understand the algorithm a little bit more now, but like Brian Stevens isn't sexy or, well, Brian, you are, I think you're sexy, but in a classic sense, you know, um, he's not any of those things and his, his videos are homemade and there's no huge production value. It's not, it's never that it's that, I mean, it's that if you're doing content or something like that, then those things matter, but they don't matter for a brand ambassador. They right. don't matter for a social influencer. People want to see real people. I think that's what it comes down to. And it comes down to trust, you know, like, uh, yeah, people can like something or like, it's interesting. I think there's you know, there's educational content, um, you know, but if you've been doing something for a long time, you do it authentically, um, you build trust. And when you build trust, then you can, you know, influence people's decisions or buying behavior. And um, I learned some of that stuff, I wouldn't say the hard way, but I just wasn't a believer until I was on um, the partnering side of a brand that was using influencers in a big way. And I think one of my biggest ones was, they paid $10,000 for a YouTuber to open their, their product on his YouTube channel. Um, it was like kind of an unboxing video you know, he unboxes it and shows the product and shows how it works and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that the following weeks from that video, they had like 80,000 in sales on Amazon. Mm. So, you know, they paid 10 grand but they got 80,000 in sales and mm -hmm. it's in Amazon works on momentum, you know, like an algorithm. And so for $10,000, maybe they would have spent that in ad costs or giveaways or who knows what else. And they wouldn't have sold 80 and they probably got so many reviews too. Like it, exactly. it, it, was, it just changed my mind completely. You know, that yeah. just like Andrew, you need to get over this. This is something that if done right is, you know, can be highly impactful. Um, and even landlocked, my, my big day was I was just selling a couple of shirts on Etsy. And when I came out with a couple of my first designs, and um, it was actually my third tweet on Twitter ever. And uh, an ESPN blog retweeted it. And I just got like almost 300 sales in like a couple of days. Um, so I was going from like, you know, five a week to like 300 and um, was enough to get my next design going and, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And, and yeah. it, it really just changed my mind about social, you know, um, and the impact that the right account or the right influencer can have for a brand. I mean, Kim Kardashian isn't doing keeping up with the Kardashians for no reason. Right. 
Right. Um, I think just TV and shows like that is like assumed. Um, but like investing in paying normal people to have maybe 10,000 followers or not massive followings. Um, those are the, those can be the best for your brand. If those people that are following them are, you know, true fans. And well, that's the tricky part. You have to figure out what's the demographic of who's, who's following them. And is that your demographic? Is that the demographic that you would spend $10,000 marketing to? Is that who's going to buy your stuff? I mean, can't be anybody. It needs to be a specific subset of people, your people. Can we talk about Black Panther? Yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. It was like when we first- I wish I, oh, I wish we were video and I could find the photo and show it. And, and it's not Black Panther. What character was that? Because I'm so embarrassed. I didn't see the movie. I'm so embarrassed. What character was that? Do you remember? Well, the movie's Black Panther. I know, but the character that I sent you who had it on his uniform- the black guy with the leather vest and the cobra buckle up at the chest. Is that not Black Panther? Is it Black Panther? I thought that character was not Black Panther. I don't think it was. Let me For anyone listening, like whoever can send that in to our social media, like I can. I mean, I'll give I, you a shout out. I can. I can um, Google it while we're talking. Okay. Well, I know that. Uh, I I think it was it was on on Black Panther himself. Okay, let me look. Um, but I just started working with you guys. That movie had just came out, I think, or a little bit before. And I was like, this this company's like belt is on Black Panther. This is so cool. I talk about social influencing. and um, Maybe it was Black Panther. See, it's on his suit. It's on his, like, war suit. Yeah, I'm trying to find that photo. I mean, I've got it on my social media. You, If you go to clickbelt's instagram but you're gonna have to scroll way down to find it but it's a beautiful photo oh here it is here it is um hang on i'm gonna email this to you are you even where you can check email i am where do people find you on instagram clickbelt and that's k-l-i-k-b-e-l-t-s okay and i think that we could do a service to any of the listeners we haven't really talked about We've talked about your demographic being, um, you know, military type, and um, but what who what is ClickBelts and who does it service? So, mainly my customer demographic is anyone that wears pants. In fact, our slogan is "Do you wear pants?" Because um, if you do, I've got something for you. But uh, largely, like if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get the bulk subset of our demographic, it would be tactical, concealed carry, police, military, that sort of thing. And, and the purpose be, is, is the reason just that they're heavy duty belts. And the reason is because the Cobra buckle is weight rated for 5,000 pounds. So it won't slip and it's infinitely adjustable. So there's no hole, you know, it's infinitely adjustable. There's no holes. It's not one inch at a time. And um, it won't slip, so they can put a bunch of heavy stuff on there without it stretching out and slipping and sagging. Okay. So it can concealed carry or construction guys' tools or whatever. Um, so anyone who needs their belt to serve as a tool. Also, and listen, I don't want anybody to email me about this, but if you do, my email is dona at clickbelts.com. That's Donna with one N. Um, a lot of people like 
to take them hunting or whatever because they'll hold up their pants and they can drag their animal that they shot and they can hang it and they can have a field tourniquet for field expediency and they can that's the part I don't want you to email about I know it's not a proper tourniquet but I mean in a pinch you wouldn't say oh I'm sorry I'll just bleed out because this isn't a proper first aid kit you'll use it and a lot of people have and I get emails about that all the time actually but um that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, there's you can tow your car out of the lake. You can. I have a lot of customers, like in California, I think, they have some sort of regulation about if you operate heavy equipment, you must be tethered. And so we sell a lot of D-ring belts to the customers in California because instead of putting this harness on that they're required to wear and tether, if you're operating a forklift or any crane operators and things like that, they have approved my belts and you can just clip your belt in. And then that way you can get in and out of the machinery quickly without unharnessing and doing all that stuff. So things like that. Okay. That's really cool. Um, I don't do any of those things. No, but I have I held up have your pants. pants. Yeah, there we go. Your pants. Yeah. Um, and I told you that was the main criteria. Right. And I yeah. like that because, you know, I feel the same way about Marknology in regards to like, if you have a product, um, you know, or a brand like, you know, even if Amazon's 10% of your business, there's a reason to be there to protect your brand, to, you know, leverage your brand on the platform to be seen by people for people to read your reviews at the worst case, um, to get introduced to your products, even if you have a few, a few of them there. Um, and, you know, there's, I think one of the issues with ClickBells was um, saturation in regards to like Chinese sellers and different people trying to knock off the belts and driving the prices down um, and things like that. But if someone goes to Amazon to find ClickBells, there's still a great representation of the brand there. So my point just being that if you have a product or a consumer good, you know, when you create a, a brand that can service anyone with pants or you can service anyone with consumer goods, you set yourself up to be able to, you know, um, to pivot or to serve a, a large customer base. I mean, you said everything from construction workers to warehouse workers to crane operators to, you know, servicemen to- Well, and I, mean, I left out a main range. demographic. We sell dog collars and dog leashes. And so pet owners, and that actually, you know, just doing something simple like that, pet owners, pet products are obviously big sellers. Just doing something simple like that, it's already, I'm already sewing long nylon things with buckles, right? So how hard was it for me to just say, oh, let's also sell dog collars, throw it up on Amazon, and now we're in the pet product space. And right. that, you know. Diversified. Yeah, you can. You could probably speak better, better to what that would have done for my brand than I could. But I think anytime you can introduce like your brand to different a different set of customers, right, and you get a chance to interact with them, maybe they're buying a leash and they just, you know, the product presentation, the quality is really great. Um, maybe they're looking again and they see that you also have rifle slings or they see that you have belts or they see, but they're going to believe that the quality is the same. Right. You know, so it can introduce a different customer to, you know, to your products. Well, and they're going to say, oh, this is a small bit American business, you know, which no. sometimes it gets very difficult on Amazon as a buyer. I'm not even talking about from the seller side. That's a different, that's a different story, but from a buyer, you're looking for something and maybe you intend on buying from a small American brand or an American brand or certainly not imported, right? 
And it's very difficult now to distinguish. They try so hard to look like us. They try very, very hard to look like they're a domestic brand and they're not. You right. Know? So when people do realize maybe they go to the page, maybe they read the about us, maybe they see all that, then then there they can see all the rest of the products that we sell. Oh, this would make a great Father's Day gift. This is my husband would love this, whatever it is. And she was buying a dog collar. Right. And there's a difference between, I think, I, th I do think times are changing and with more of a, a push um, toward quality, uh, you know, like less about fast fashion and ClickBelts isn't a fast fashion brand. You know, it's quality, it's durable, it's American made. It's a premium um, product, yes. Premium, exactly. Um, same thing with getting shirts or jackets or hats made locally. Um, you know, if you're trying to use a local printer and source locally and or get something... Um, sewn locally um, you're just paying a higher premium and so you know for you to be profitable at all you have to charge a higher price you know on your items and i think that at least what i'm discovering is that um it feels like uh america is making a shift or at least a part of america is making a shift toward understanding um if they want local if they want quality they got to pay a higher price i agree and they're willing to pay the higher price and now they're paying attention where is this coming from what am i get? you know what am I getting? What is this? Instead of just buying it because the widget popped up that they were looking for in the first search. First thing that popped up in their search criteria was what they were looking for. They added it to the cart and checked out. Now they are maybe taking it maybe even one step further. They're not taking it 10 steps further, which of course all of us small businesses would like for them to do, but they're going one step further. It, usually that one step is, is this coming from China? <laughs> That's, if we could just get them to go that far, that would, you know, that would be huge. Yeah, I have a, I have something I definitely need to talk to you about offline, okay. but um, we'll talk about it here just for a minute. I'm trying to develop a product, um, and it's my first time doing one from the design phase. I'm like actually reverse engineering a couple other products um, to kind of see how they're made. I've you know I've bought samples. I'm kind of taking them apart. I do that. Um, and being like, how can I make this better? I have an idea. It involves leather. It involves sewing. It involves buckles. So you see where I'm at and so I feel exciting. like, yeah, I just feel like, um, you know, it's going to be, it's something completely different direction, but I think I'm going to put the landlock brand on it. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, so maybe it's worth a conversation. I'd love to get, you know, for me in, in my product development, um, at least with Amazon products, I've done a lot of stuff with leather in India, um, and in China with some glass products I made, I guess mm -hmm. glass products made, um, and then Landlocked has been all locally, local, but so I've never um, created a product from like the design phase all the way through all here in the U.S. Um, so it'd be something that I could very much use your opinion, but I don't want to share my idea here. because No. Oh my gosh. Listen, you'll find out when you find out. There'll be a big announcement. You stay tuned. You, you follow Andrew for more information on that. Yeah, maybe we can collab on this one and you can just help me get it done. But and I, well, I can at least tell you where I've stumbled on stuff like that and let you skip those steps. But that's, I mean, that's the fun part. The designing part is the fun part. So cool. Um, I'm excited about this one. I think, you know, it's some, it's an idea I've sat on for like six months. So it feels like, you know, and you still think it's a good idea. I have these like bursts of like, Oh, I have all these ideas, you know, and the ones that stay, uh, I feel like are the ones that is like a gut, a gut thing. Yeah. It means uh, it's, you're, you're giving birth to it. I thought it's a good idea for six months, you know, or something. So, oh, I'm so excited. 
Cool. I'm I'm doing a little bit better job of not sharing all of my secrets to the world. So I'm trying to Hard, find isn't it? trying to find the happy balance. I like people to be excited so that whenever they see it come to pass, they're like, you know, he said it was gonna happen and it took him six months, took him eighteen months, doesn't matter. Here's the product, you know. Um, because I think there's something to be said about following up on what you say and there's an accountability well, two when years you- in a row at Shot Show during the interview that Brian Stevens did, I promised promised Andrew all of my people a law enforcement duty belt and is there one on my website no no um this is this has had more pain points than I thought I I will tell you that I tried and tried if it's not gonna be what I need it to be or what I want it to be or what they want it to be I'm not gonna do it and I just was flying too close to the sun and it's still not dead it's just you know, you reach a pain point that you can't overcome and you got to shelve it. You've got to get lower hanging fruit and then I'll have an epiphany. Oh my gosh. Or someone will show me or I'll see a different one and I will cannibalize it. Just like you said, you know, I can pick it back up, but sometimes a pain point is just stumps me. I'm, I'm, I'm stopped by it and I move on. I, you know, then I see a squirrel over here and I go chase that squirrel over there. Let's talk about some of the pain points with this one, since you've already said it was a law enforcement belt. I think something really valuable when I listen to podcasts and interviews like these with with owners and founders, um, I'm always wanting to know like some of their failures or like what was the details of why that didn't work. Like, uh, I think so many people get stuck on something like you said, and they're just like it's a roadblock. And exactly where you said where it's a roadblock, shelve it for a little bit you know, wait till you find a mentor that can help you push it past. Like, you know, even our conversation we might have um, might push my idea forward, you know, um, and just hold on to some of those ideas. But what were some of the things with this particular idea that you were like, that either like law enforcement, what didn't like your design or, or you're, you're running into issues? Can we talk about some of those? We can, but I'm going to switch products, Andrew, because I have a product that I actually brought to market that's a bigger pain point, and it's probably easier for me to give specifics on that. Okay. And that is my paracord Apple watch band and paracord bracelet using the mini fashion Cobra buckles. And I got a lot of, well, just like the, just like the law enforcement duty belt, I got a lot of requests from customers. Can you make an Apple watch band? You know, can you make a, so... I started on this and I started from A, let me tell you, A, like, what does that even look like? Is it silicone? Is it nylon? Is it, I don't even know what material it's going to be made out of. And I, my customers really want something that's made in America. They know that I'm probably not going to be able to source the stuff from America, but they at least want it assembled here and an owned, you know, an American company. It seems to be important to them. I know it is important to them. So I try very hard to do that. That's our current business model. I want to stick with, you know, the boutique feel of our brand and have things consistent across the board with that. So I looked into silicone and laser cutting and order them pre-cut. And then I looked into nylon and our sewing machines just aren't delicate enough to sew these little bitty watch bands and our hot knives and lasers aren't delicate enough to cut this little bitty piece of nylon. They cut these big belts, you know, that everything is made for, the tactical belt. Ability, I don't have this yeah. little bitty sewing machine that can do this fine stitching on the, on a three quarter of an inch piece. And not, you know, we don't have that. So I could buy one and I would buy one if I, if that's where I landed, but that's not where I landed. I'd go through there and it's like, Oh, but there's no Cobra buckle on this. And Oh, 
the only Apple hardware that I can buy in bulk for the Apple Watch is from China, and it's real cheap. And then I'm putting a Cobra buckle on there, so now I have a Cobra buckle and this real cheap flimsy stuff that's just going to fall apart, you know. And anyway, I met this guy named Derek who owns Paracord by Ripcord, um, and he partnered with a giveaway through another brand ambassador. And I was like, oh, we could do Paracord because it probably just has enough give to where they don't need it to be adjustable, right? Like we could do small, medium, large. We could have a place on there where they could, if they wanted to take their own custom measurement, they could. And it could just have a fixed Cobra buckle and I don't have to worry about an adjustability or elastic or anything like that. Perfect. We designed, we picked the colors. I ordered all those little fashion buckles from Austria Alpine. He ordered the Apple hardware from Alibaba, I think. It's the only place we could find it. We waited till all that came in. He made custom bits so that he could make this stuff. I had photography done. We launched it. It's on my website now under accessories. Oh my gosh. Everybody was so excited. They flipped the shelf. I still sell maybe five of them a day. Not a huge big thing. And Derek makes them and ships them from where he is, which is near Detroit, somewhere near Detroit. I think, sorry, Derek. I think it's Detroit. Anyway. Um, oh my gosh. No, either the Apple hardware falls apart because it's so cheap or People don't know how to measure their wrist or they measured it wrong. Or I get so many, every one of them comes back, really. It takes me three or four tries before I can get one out the door. And they're $39 with a Cobra buckle. And so to ship it and it's back and forth. And now I have all these made products that were custom made that I can't order. And now Derek's got to cut them off and I've got to ship the buckles back to Derek. I mean, no, that is it, I, I'm losing money on it. I mean, even at $39 and they're like, wow, that's expensive for this. I don't even make money on that because of all the pain points that I didn't consider. And the fact that I've got to swap it out three times and that customers aren't going to measure their wrist. They're going to think they know what size their wrists are. And then they're like, this doesn't fit. And there's no amount of copy that you can put in the website to make them understand they need to measure correctly. You know, I mean, it's, this isn't, it's, it's not a one size fits all. So as soon as I run out of buckles on those, I'm not even going to sell them anymore. That's just going to go away. But I, uh, there were so many pain points launching it, and it turns out it's a it's a turd. Just wanted to get it done, and it's, it's not cool, that. and people like it, but I can't maintain it unless they want to pay a hundred bucks for it, and they don't. So. Right. As someone that has an Apple Watch, like you know, that just wouldn't. There's no way. Um, You'd spend a hundred bucks on the band, you know, unless it like could repel you from buildings, probably. It can it's paracord? Wow, it can actually I, repel I, you from buildings. I, I, I ate my it, Andrew. Well, if it can repel me from buildings, like so ninety nine, I should maybe raise the price to ninety nine and keep. Here's the thing: the paracord can and the Cobra buckle can, but boy, please don't hang by that piece of Apple hardware that connects it to the watch, because I mean that I don't even think that can get you through a mowing the lawn session. That's the problem. We had an idea, made me think of an idea that we kind of failed on. Um, we didn't really fail. Uh, I wanted to make, Landlock's been trying to make this move into more fat men's fashion. Um, and I wanted to make these like collared. Did you say fat men's fashion? No, men's fashion. Okay, because you said fat men's fashion. No, 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 no. Opposite almost. In that, in that. And just they... as a caveat, we make custom sizes at quickbelts.com. Any size you want. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
Well, Landlocked has been trying to make a move into men's fashion. Um, more so just like uh, we want to do these dress shirts. And you know our story and that we grew up, like I grew up in Africa till I was 16 and different things like that. And we have friends back in Africa. We have, um, you know, my sister Veronica is the COO here, has worked with women's refugee groups in Tampa, Florida um, before she moved here. So just some connections. And she was very instrumental in getting um, a, a women's programs set up there in Tampa for young girls to, um, you know, get dresses and clothes for school and things mm -hmm. like that, as well as set up some irrigation for their farming. And so we just had these relationships um, from either growing up or Tampa with um, the African community. And we had these ideas for these men's shirts uh, a lot of like, and I think there's even some brands doing it now. So this is a, this is a little bit older idea, but it was more of like these fitted uh, African garments. And it would be like uh, almost like a Volcom or a Ruka shirt. That's just like slim fit, short sleeve button up, but with the fun colors of Africa, like the fun fabric colors. Mm -hmm. And we were going to have, we were going to partner with um, these refugee, these refugee, um, kind of organizations that employ women to sew and do things that they did back home to kind of work with us, employ them to like make the shirts for us. And it'd be like the super cool tie back home. Now, mind you, we're white. Um, we're from Af We grew up in Africa, but you know, um, understanding that we're not trying to just take advantage of this culture and selling their kind of stuff, right. And getting it made. So it was like very important that it missionary work in a different way, really. Right. And yeah. uh, that's just what our brand is about. If you follow Landlocked and um, a big part of that, though, was if we were going to use these African patterns and kind of this like um, tribal ritualistic type of um, dress garments for our, sh our men's our men's shirts, um, that it needed to incorporate working with the African community to kind of create them. And when I started researching and you're talking about these standards that you have to keep and you're just like, look, if they don't hit these things, it's not a good idea. And the first one was that I realized that all of those fabrics that look like um, African traditional wear don't come from Africa. Um, they actually come from somewhere in Europe, I think like Sweden or something. And so really? every, all those colorful patterns and everything. So I was a little disappointed, number yeah. one, that yeah. they were coming from Europe. Um, and then sold to Africa and that's just the fabrics they like. But I was like, okay, well, even if you, if you can't get them from Africa, cause they're not even made there, then that's okay. It's not like I'm cheaping out on that, there, right? Yeah. And well, they were going to be sewed by, um, refugees or immigrants, African immigrants here that are oh, like okay. no, trying yeah. to get assimilated into, um, into our society. And so they used to sew back, um, you know, in Africa and they'd be sewing here. So, uh, then we took we took two trips to Tampa to meet with the the head of that uh, organization and kind of talk to them and kind of show them some of our patterns that we were working with, and um, it just kind of flopped in that they it was um, a little bit above their technical abilities to sew at that level, like mm -hmm. um, you know they, a nice tailored a nice tailored men's shirt, and so you know everything from where we were sourcing, like we were losing the story of the product. Yeah. Right. And so mm -hmm. it was one thing for me to envision it, but the fabric not coming from Africa, it not being sewn or the, not having this like tie in to give back to the community um, with which it was coming from, we lost that too. And so we just decided, even though we could have got it done and produce these things, we were missing like 
kind of the why. And so, you know, we shot that project down. And, and then the colorfulness of it makes no sense anymore. Exactly. Now it's a fashion brand having nothing to do with. Right. It's our tie to Africa and that's it. You know, yeah. it, was, it just wasn't the same as what we envisioned. And so because it had gone so far off course yeah. um, or kind of it didn't hit these standards and some people could see those as failures or, you know, trouble. But for us, it was just this isn't aligned with our brand and, you know, our, our authenticity as a brand and our standards. And so we're going to kill this project. And that's what you need to know when to cut bait. I mean, you don't get so emotionally attached to something that you just force it to happen when you know that that wasn't what you wanted. Yep, I agree. Just cut I, bait. I, okay, I'm not spending one more dollar on this because it's not going to ever be what I want. It's agree. not going to be. I think people miss, I think people miss the ball on that. And uh, to anyone listening, that's like, you know, trying to create those standards for your own brand. I would just say that, you know, if it's not aligned with what you want in the long run, you know, or if someone was to like pick apart that, that project or that idea and, um, you know, just really look at it, it was, you'd be like, Hey, is this a direct reflection of what I want my brand to be in the quality? Um, you know, get out as soon as you can. Yeah, if you think it's meh, think about what everybody else is going to think about it. I mean. Agreed. I tell my partner uh, in the real estate side of things, you know, our Airbnb business here in Kansas City. Um, I tell him every single time we design one and we're doing, you know, the decorating and, you know, the, the fixtures and everything. Because that's kind of our, um, that's when I get involved, when the house is coming together uh, yeah. and, you know, kind of designing it is, you know, would you want to live here? Would you want to stay in this Airbnb? Would you want to live here? And maybe not live there permanently, but would you want to stay here for a week in an Airbnb or something like that? And if it's not to those standards, it's not done. Right. Um, and I think that's why we, that's how we've had a successful business is, um, you know, everything that we're creating or that we're um, specifically for homes, you know, but if someone's sleeping there uh, or their family's there um, or they're trying to get work there or going through a, maybe an emotional time, like mm -hmm. you want this to feel like home. You want this to feel like somewhere, um, that you would stay. Right. You know, yeah. so I think that's, that's at least our standard. Would you wear this? You know, um, you see, I got landlocked on right now. I know anyone does not, can't see us today. Um, but if you're not going to wear your brand, if you're not going to represent your products, like, um, you know, how can you expect anyone else to? And that's if you don't know, if you don't have a standard yet for your business and you're thinking about a business or you've got one, you're kind of creating these things like that's a good place to start is just start with, would this be acceptable for me? Mm -hmm. Agree. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to close out, but I want to ask you a couple of things. Um, okay. When you, this is more of a personal, it could be entrepreneurship or not, but like whenever you hit a creative block, or you're just feeling kind of like, you know, low, you've talked about me picking you up off the floor a couple of times in the early days, and you're just like fed up with Amazon. Um, you know, what are some of the things you do to get back on track? Well, it depends on what I'm feeling low about a creative block wouldn't be unusual for me because I'm not a creative. So that's real important to know. Uh, the main thing I do to get back on track is I just wash my face and what is my biggest pain point? Who is my partner that helps with this and throw myself at that mercy and just say, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stuck here. I'm having problems with that. Can we collab? Can we come up with a new, come up with a new plan? Can we 
tweak this a little bit? Can we cut this? And, you know, I'm running a bit, I can't say I'm running a business by myself. I have a few employees, but there's no other, there's no other officer of the business that helps me make these big decisions or anything like that. It is all on my shoulders, but I do have a marketing company. I do have accountants. I do have a brand ambassador marketing company. I do have uh, um, people who help me with my Amazon store. Those people are so important to me. I, I don't even know what they do. And so I just call in the professionals. I call in the professionals. I ask for help and I listen to what they say and I take their advice. I mean, I didn't tell her to say that. So she said it herself. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you didn't have to. I mean, Andrew and, well, Andrew and Brooklyn and Veronica can tell you for sure that they caught me in the beginning when I was like, what is how uh, there was a, there were a lot of things going on in my life at that time too, other than just the fact that I'd just bought a business. And right after that, my husband got diagnosed with cancer and I didn't even have a handle on what my monthly expenses were. Like I hadn't even figured it out yet. And I call him, I'm freaking out. I'm like, why did y'all put $8,000 on my credit card for uh, Amazon marketing campaigns? Well, Donna, we've done that every month. That that's your budget. Like that's what you do. But for some reason in that moment, it was like, I can't ever do that again. I don't even have 50 cents to spend on this. My husband has can't, you know, my husband has cancer. Like we can't be spending money like this. But of course, if you don't, you're not gonna sell anything on Amazon. And they did a good job. I mean, all three of them talked me off the ledge and you know, and your partners will do that for you. If you're if they don't, you don't have the right partners. Agreed. Agreed. What's, what do you think is your, you know, your magic sauce as far as, um, you know, what makes Donna good at business or, or like your entrepreneur? Um, I don't want to call it kryptonite, almost the, the opposite of kryptonite. Let's call it superpower. You know, what would be your superpower? What, what is your natural ability? Is it, you know, we talked about earlier about you taking those phone calls. Is it the relationship building? Thanks. And I say yes to everything. It's sales and customer service. That's my background. And that's, what that's the magic sauce and you can go on clickbelts.com or even amazon and read the reviews many of them will mention me by name and so i spend a lot of money to get a customer i'm not going to lose one i mean i'm not going to lose one we're going to keep trying until it's a five-star review and i'll email them if it's a four-star review they will get an email from me i love that um if you're on amazon and you're listening please don't reach out to all of your customers and just ask them for five-star reviews without getting an expert consultant first you get yourself in trouble um but no i do think that's what it takes um, that was an expert consultant it just wasn't you just caveat caveat i didn't do that i didn't even know it was happening no um you know you just get yourself in trouble amazon is just so Auto emails are not your friend Yes. Well, the, the, the history there for anyone listening to the Amazon review problem is like probably a couple a couple years ago, Amazon, there's an article leaked or not leaked, but an article released on like um, in the New York Times or something like that. And it was about Amazon not being trusted when Bezos has spent his entire career on Amazon getting customer trust, you know, two day shipping and all that kind of stuff and reviews. And the article was saying that these reviews were bought by firms in India and China and that people, you know, brands that have a big enough budget are just giving away product for free in order to get five-star reviews and just this whole like, um, you know, investigation on reviews on Amazon and Amazon just came down hard on that, um, you know, to clean it up essentially. 
uh, they just they were removing hundreds of thousands of reviews at this time, and they bring in outside firms. They you know they advise the NSA as far as like IP tracking and um, you know knowing whose customers are and things like that. And so Amazon, when these review thing, we've kind of been. Um, you know, they're judging it according to the worst of us, essentially, or whatever you want to call that. But they, uh, Amazon's just come down so hard if they think that anyone is manipulating reviews that it becomes almost possible to just do your job. And it's like an automated robot kind of saying, you know, if, if someone in your family, if someone in your same network, if someone at the same coffee shop as you, um, on the same IP or the same network is reviewing on your account, or you're like offering to, give someone a full refund in exchange for a good review or send them free product that that was what kind of like black hat hackers were doing, you know, to, to gain momentum on Amazon. And so Amazon is just an absolute, uh, hard line on all, on all things reviews. And Donna was specifically talking about just, uh, getting her wrist slapped, uh, as far as sending out automated messages to customers that were buying. Well, what we had, we had set up auto emails, the previous owner did, and it was based on if you if you gave me as a seller a five star review, then there was a auto email generated asking for you to give the product a five star review. And I didn't know that it was up there. Like this had been set up a long time ago. People don't review sellers that often. And I got an email from Amazon. It's like you can't do that. And when Amazon sends you something like that, it's forty-seven paragraphs in teeny tiny font with a whole bunch of links, but it doesn't really tell you what you did wrong. Like it, it, it it's, it, it's very complicated, and 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 it's not some. It's like a, it's like an instruction manual or a legal briefing or something. Yes. And so I'm like, well, I don't know what I did, and I delete it. And so then. 30 days later, it must have happened again. And so they suspended me. So I could no longer send these auto emails. And the 3,500 five-star reviews I had pretty much went away. They what? thought they were, yeah, that's what happened. I didn't have, I went from 3,500 five plus five-star reviews on one ply belts to then it going down to ASIN level. And for those of you who are not in Amazon, I sell I had over 400 ASINs on Amazon because every size color combination is its own SKU number. It's not black belts or one, it's black belts in all 10 sizes each have a different item number, right? So it went down. So a black belt size 32 would have 20 reviews and then a 34 would have two reviews and then, and, and they wouldn't give it back because they felt like there was some ASIN that, that had gotten a review based on that auto email that had become illegal. And I didn't know I was sending and now all the reviews were deemed illegal because I had I had obtained one of them illegally. Man, that's some, what happened. There's some and there's no going back. Once that happens, you're done. Amazon doesn't care. There's nobody you can call. That's done. That's over. So once we didn't have 3,500 five-star reviews, which is a huge big deal, nobody bought the product anymore. I mean, it wasn't. Our, then the Chinese competitors and all my competitors that had way more reviews would rank higher than me. And it was pretty – that – that was pretty much a fatal shot for me. I'm sorry to bring up a bad subject. That's okay. I, I needed to wean myself from Amazon. It's a good thing. It, it actually was so much work and I, and I did, and I'm still on Amazon. I just, that needed to happen. It, and, and you don't know it when it happens, but you know, if it's not okay, then it's not the end as they say. So, and it's not the end. I still have a store on, on Amazon, but 
if you go there and see that I don't have very many reviews on my one ply belts. Now you'll know why, but look at my two ply belts because those now those still have those are still so flexing. Oh yeah, flexing. those have four di- those have four digits in the review category. And your and your dog leashes. I don't think I have leashes on Amazon, but I have collars. Okay, collars. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have leashes on my website. You I don't know, have every product on Amazon. Brands ask me about reviews and how to get them on Amazon, and um, you know, it's it's really the brand owners that are like sending out mailers and postcards and follow. I mean, you work your ass off. Those were organic reviews. It, it, we didn't. It pays off to do that, even even now. You know, we we're doing automated you reviews. Think how but... sick I was when they went away. I mean, I, we were sick. I was like, you know, how hard we worked to get those. Like, they added so much value to the business, and then Amazon was like, too bad you death penalty two times. I mean, I don't know what to say. And they're right. I mean, if I would have been paying attention to my business, this wouldn't have happened. There's no one I could blame but myself. So don't, don't, don't feel too sorry for me, but, but feel big, sorry. big deal. Feel so that, you know, I mean, you could send me a muffin basket or something if you wanted to, and I wouldn't be mad. Donna, thank you so much. Um, I know we're hitting up on our time here and I can't bring our guests an hour and a half, but, um, it's been great talking to you just about the business. I love it when we get to just share wins, losses, failures, what the mindset of an entrepreneur is on the day-to-day and what we're working on. I think a lot of people don't really have an idea of what that day-to-day looks like. And it's just, it's the process. It's developing product. It's working relationships with customers. It's working relationships with other businesses. It's focusing on your strengths. It's, you know, acknowledging the areas that you've messed up and how we can get better. It's pivoting when you, when your standards don't align, you know, we've covered all of that today. Yeah. That those are all the things that matter in regard to um, building a business that's going to last. Agree. It's really, been fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Once again, you guys can find her at ClickBelts. That's K-L-I-K-B-E-L-T-S. We did look um, on Google when we paused for a second and found out that I was wrong about Black Panther. It's Killmonger, so it's the villain. Oh. It's the villain, it's Killmonger. Um, so don't send me any emails either. I'm going to start using that on the podcast. <laughs> uh, don't send me any emails about that either. Um, keep, you know, follow follow Donna and ClickBelts. Like, they have a lot of fun stuff coming out to the worst sounds like she's working on several products they'll be fun and if Mm -hmm. you have pants she's one of your she you should be one of her customers if you have pants, what's the slogan do you wear pants do you wear pants yes and it it, it is my ministry to hold your pants up you come check it out clickbelts.com I love it. Once again, today's episode is brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Thank you hustlers Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.